You're listening to the Weekly Service Podcast, crowdsourced wisdom to help you reimagine life. John Osborne is interested in how the conversations we have create the world we live in. The language and stories we share often define what we think is possible. And if we feel stuck, perhaps there's a missing conversation that we need to have. In this service, John speaks with Kirsty Mergelein, tracking everything from John's Cockney heritage to dating stories to pivotal life moments of stepping off the known track, to their shared love of ontological design, which John describes as the architecture of being. I mean, maybe we could just start by saying the reason we're having a conversation in this fairly unstructured way is that it didn't really feel appropriate for me to deliver a carefully crafted monologue about conversation that kind of didn't feel like the right format. And then as we were talking about it, it struck me that conversations are kind of often like a, a dance where, you know, sometimes you don't really know what you're doing or most of the time you don't really know what you're doing and you, you're never quite sure what's going to happen next. And so that was part of the design of today's conversation. Yeah. And you also made me a menu. I did make you a menu, yeah. Which I've got here. Um, It's a menu of conversation of different things I can also ask John if I get stuck. (laughs) Hopefully I can remember what I was thinking about when I wrote them down. (laughs) But but maybe I could just start by by also acknowledging some of the things that you've acknowledged, Kirst. Yeah. You know, acknowledging the land that we're on, acknowledging the context that we exist in here in Australia, and acknowledging that we have a conversational practice which is inadequate around the traditional owners. That, that what we do is we name the fact that we stand on land which we feel various things about. For me, I mm-hmm. feel guilty about that. And that that conversation is, is a conversation that we continue until it changes. Right. And so I pay my respects to the elders of the land, past, present and emerging. And I do that for the sake of creating a better future with them Mm. in the place of not knowing how to do that. Mm. And that feels to me like part of the context that that I wanted to name Mm. for this Mm. for this conversation. I mean, I also I also wonder if I could just kind of start by telling a story, an origin story for me. Yeah, I think that's important. Do you want to start there? Yeah, let's do that. So. Um, I grew up in London, which is why I've got a funny accent. And uh, my my mum's parents were like firmly like working class um, uh, Cockneys. My grandmother literally is a Cockney. She was born in Bow. And the definition of a Cockney is that someone was born where you can hear Bow bells. Bow is the church. So uh, she was born uh, there. And, uh, and I asked... My nan is a fantastic storyteller, absolutely hilarious. Her and her brother can talk endlessly about stories, about their lives. And um, she's 97. She still lives on her own in London. And uh, I asked her one day, because as time goes on, I try and get more and more stories um, from her. And I asked her, oh, nan, how did you meet granddad? And she said, oh, well, well, she said, well, back in the day, she said, I don't mean to blow my own trumpet, but I was... I was a pretty good dancer. I said, oh, were you, Nan? Yeah, oh, yes, I was a great dancer. She said, so when I went to the dances, I, I looked at their feet. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, I looked at the feet, didn't I? She said, I wanted to see who was a good dancer. I said, okay. Uh, what? Talk, talk me through that now. Well, 
if they can move their feet, then they was in the right dancer, she said. So I, I looked at the feet and I found the best pair and I went up to them and, and that was your granddad. <laughs> <laughs> I said, all right, all right, Nan. So, so what happened next? She says, well, we went home and that was it, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and I, A conversation through dancing. Yeah. And, and, I, and I also tell that story because it discloses a world which was much simpler totally. than the one that I grew up in. And, um, and it's fantastic having conversations with her where she just muses over how much has changed, talks about stories about the mm. war and what that was like and how they just, they just had a whale of a time like in the war and her, her family just made light of everything and just you know, had a fantastic time. So that's her. Mm. So there's that rich storytelling history. In, in your family or at least in her generation that informs your own? I think so, yeah. I think I, I, think I, I, lo- I grew to love like storytelling yeah, yeah, yeah. Through, through hearing her and her, her, and her brother. Um, but it wasn't always that way at the beginning because I remember you've got a story about when you were little. Um, yeah. That, you, you, were, you found it hard to, to, to communicate. Yeah, thanks, thanks for <laughs> reminding me of that. So... <laughs> Now, this is this is great, isn't it? Um, I think maybe this was the starting point actually of talking about mm-hmm. conversation. So when I was when I was young, I'm the first of four kids, and uh, when I grew up, I thought that I could speak because I opened my mouth and noise came out. But what quickly transpired was that the noises that I was making were not noises that anybody else could understand, and this went on for. A period of time that was longer than it should have done and so my mum then um, took me to a speech therapist which was very smart of her and the speech therapist apparently took, spent about 20 minutes with me and she said he's not listening to anything I'm saying he's listening to the buzzing of the lights he's listening to the water in the pipes and as soon as she realized that she realized that uh, I had very sensitive hearing and I was listening to the wrong things and, and I couldn't speak because I wasn't listening to the right things. And I think that, that to me was, uh, even though I don't remember any of that, and these are stories that I'm retelling about my own life, I couldn't speak because I couldn't listen to the right things. I think that's kind of been a motif, really, mm. in my life when I've got stuck and I've gone, I'm not having the conversation that I want to have. I don't know how to have the conversation. And it starts for me with listening. It starts learning to listen differently, learning to pay attention differently. And, and I grew up playing music as well. I was really... No worries. Welcome. <laughs> I think um, you know, this idea of listening, like... I grew, so I grew up playing music. My dad was, was very musical... And um, we were lucky enough in London to grow up in a, in a borough, which is a bit like, it's like city of Darabin. It's like a collection of suburbs um, where someone had decided that music was really important. And so we went to music school and we learned to play instruments. We played in an orchestra and a jazz band and then through school, various other bands. And, um, you know, getting good at music for me is really about learning to listen. Like it's learning to listen between the way that... Um, Dave Grohl plays the drums, you know, and Stevie Wonder plays the drums, and they're both amazing drummers. 
but they just play completely differently. Um, and and Stevie Wonder, you know, is a musician, and he and you hear the musicality in the way that he plays the drums, and he's really got no interest whatsoever in keeping a beat. <laughs> he just, you know, you listen to his drumming, and he just kind of like flows around, and he plays them like a melodic instrument. You know, um, Dave Grohl kind of attacks the drums, um, and we could go on, right? We could go on, but um, these are all like distinctions which we develop, and it's it's not just noticing them; it's it's noticing the difference between them that allows us to produce mm. different types of conversation. Mm. Yeah, and I'm curious about um, so because. Part of the reason that you're here and we're having this conversation is that, like, presently in your work, conversation is really important, like, to what you do. Um, are you able to, like, um, join the dots for us between, like, those early times when you were learning about why, why it's important for you to be able to communicate and listen? And are you able to thread a little bit of a, a line for us between then and now? Gee, that's quite a big question. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Well, tell me, why is, impo- why is conversation important to you at the moment? Can I go back to the first question yeah. for, for a moment? Like, so when I was a kid, I was always fascinated with two things. I was interested in creativity and I was interested in, in how things worked. So there was like an analytical brain and then there was a creative brain. You know, there was music and electronics. Um, you know, there was jazz and techno. There were and so on and so forth. And so initially I was interested in how do things work and and so apparently like, I would just go and talk to anyone and mm-hmm. I was always interested in like what they knew. I was interested in expertise or how people navigated things. And then later as I started developing a creative practice myself, um, of photography, of music, of different things, I was always interested in the process, like how did people get there, like what was their process. And so I suppose the conversation shifted the first 10 years of my career were engineering mm. and because I couldn't work out what to do with this analytical and creative, I said, well, I'll study acoustic engineering, which <laughs> is like engineering, which looks at like how does sound work. And it, we weren't really real engineers. We, we were part, you know, artists and, and part um, engineers. And obviously all the rest of the engineers looked down on us and said, well, they don't know what they're doing. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and we said rude things about them as well. But, <laughs> but so that, that was an interest with how things worked. And those types of conversations were kind of like games where the rules were defined, mm. where you, you kind of knew that you were going to turn up and you were going to do a certain kind of dance because everybody had the same discourse. And I became interested in, well, what happens when people lie outside of that discourse? And how do we invite them in to create or to, or to partake or to participate? And, um, and so I'm going to cut a long story short and, and go to that. After that, I moved into strategy because I kept asking questions about how things worked and I was interested in a bigger picture. And I came to work on a project which was like the dream project, really. It was, it was about um, like completely redesigning the way that buildings were built that um, we thought about the way that people live in buildings. It was just this, like, mm. I can't, still can't believe I got to work on this project. Mm. And at the end of it, um, I walked away and I had this awful realisation that even though we'd done this, like, amazing work, um, nothing would change because the conversation mm. of the leader, the conversations that the leader of this whole project was having with his organisation hadn't changed. Mm. And it was just a realisation where I said, I have no idea how to 
I have no idea what to do. Mm. I don't know how to produce the types of conversations that we need to create the future that we want. And that, of course, gave way to me studying uh, leadership, mm. thinking about well, what is leadership like and what, um, how do we use conversations to produce a different future. Here, there's a pause for a group discussion with the following prompt. Can you think of a conversation that's changed you? After the discussion, the group came back and John responded to one person's story of a conversation about love. I feel like every time I come to a weekly service, I learn a bit more about your preferences, your dating preferences. Maybe yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I'm thinking like maybe in a few weeks I could actually write your dating profile for you. Yay. Yeah. That would be very because the only reason that Kate and I met was that my friend hijacked my profile and she read my profile and she said, She's like, that's so shit. <laughs> like, that's so boring. She said, you write so badly. Like, I would never even think about going on a date with you. Reading that profile. And so she rewrote my profile, and then I met Kate. So, like, yeah. <laughs> that's the power of conversation right there. Like, yeah. It was the missing conversation. So, so because this is a conversation, like, Kirst, I want to ask you, um, we've had many conversations, like you say, and... One of the things that I really appreciate about the quality of conversation I have with you is the, the way that you pay attention to being. And I think in our world, we're often conversations are about doing, about getting things done. But I don't even have a question. I just wanted to open up that yeah. for you to speak I to I think that. it's funny when John says that because I'm not even aware that that's the case, you know? Maybe, I don't know. So, but he did mention one story... Um, that I shared with him about um, I'd been away for a year um, after high school on a gap year and I had um, I got into law, um, you know, like trying to get into the highest pinnacle of <laughs> studies or whatever after school thinking that's what I wanted and then um, I was on an aeroplane coming back and I'd learnt a lot when I was overseas. I was only 19 at the time or something and I had a piece of paper and I had a column like down the middle a line down the middle in two columns and I had law on one side and then on the other side I had like what else would I do, you know, what else could I do? And at that time it was creativity. I didn't know what that looked like. And then I just imagined forward like who would I become if I was a lawyer and who would I become if I chose this creative path? And for me the lawyer was like kind of feisty, you know, quite angry but like real so social justice. I'd probably go out and do some human rights law or something. And I felt into the energy of that and it was like that's kind of my family line, like that's sort of like what my maybe not really my ancestors but my parents, you know, have done. Um, and I knew that it would please them. And then the other side was, um, yeah, creative and I have no idea how I'm going to make an income. Um, but it felt quite joyful and gift-orientated and I don't know how it's going to make an impact either because it's quite difficult to like to think, oh, it's going to have a direct impact. Um yeah, and I chose the creative path and, and that was where I like kind of stepped off the tracks of what I knew and then into something else that I didn't know where it was going to go, you know. Um, it was a, a real gift to myself for the next six years until then it became a reality. <laughs> How do I make money? How do I, you know. And also is this making any difference? Is it just for me? Am I just being selfish? So all these other questions came up but um, I think it was, yeah, Something to do with how I am now being in the present is important to um, what I'm able to offer. 
Yeah. I mean, there's there's so many things in that story for me, Kirst. Like one of them is that is that there was this moment of clarity, which doesn't often happen on an aeroplane. I don't know why. <laughs> there's something about the quietness and the isolation and floating above. You know, it's metaphorical, but we're also <laughs> zooming out, right? And there was this moment of realization where you made an intervention in your own life that was concerned with being, not doing. Mm. That's that's one of the things that I really take from that that story, and that. And then there was this relentless pursuit I see in you to being as a process of generation, not as a, oh, I made that decision and now I'm going to do it, as a, I'm going to remain in this question. Mm. And, um, like, you know, part of, my, part of my own history was growing up in the church. So first of all, I was raised in a, a, a funny Protestant church in <laughs> East London, which was a Baptist church, which was trying to be a Pentecostal church. It was a really weird mix of status anxious middle-class British people um, like drawing on black culture which was just so much more interesting and um, and, and there was this m- weird mix um, but I remember uh, I left that as soon as I could and, and I went and hung out with some Catholics and and I remember one of them saying um, fall in love stay in love and it will change everything you do <laughs> and that kind of comes up as you share that story Kirst there was this moment of of love, I would I would say love. I don't know if that resonates for you that language. Mm. But it was a moment of, yeah, of truth of be, connection. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So how did you come to um, explore these two strange words, ontological and design? <laughs> yeah, I think it's like. How does change happen? Like I think most probably a lot of you here are interested in that question to some degree too. Like if you get interested in, if you want to create a better future and a better world, it's like, well, what is it that really makes that possible? And um, I think I was always interested in the weekly service for for the questions that it was asking um, as one avenue to explore that. You know, like I think there's there's a lot of limiting beliefs that we hold and a lot of um, possibility and potentiality that's lost in the way that we hold conversations like I was just saying to John before you know when you're at a panel or you're out in public and you're um, someone speaking and everyone just sits really passively and listens to the expert talk about some issue you know and a lot of the time our um, conversations are framed around problems and not around possibility or about like imagining a different a different world um, I don't know if that answers your question but that's kind of like ontology is about um, how we be in the world and I think what we've seen for me anyway like the way that I've been in the world has been quite unsustainable and I think as a whole that you could say that's true Um, so how do we change how we are in the world how do we change how we we be in the world Um, and that that it can be a process of designing yeah designing change and, and it is unfortunate that we can't just blame other people, isn't it? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, I really wish that that was a more effective strategy. Mm. But, like, I mean, like, my own, my own coming to this, this strange world of, of design. Should I talk about what I mean by these words? or should I, I just... think it'd be good to hear what you think, yeah. Would that be helpful? All right. Let's talk about design first. Design's a word like leadership. There's no, there's no agreed definition of the word design, right? So we have to kind of create, we have to create a context around that. Um, my favorite book on design starts with these words. 
design in the most generic sense is probably about two and a half million years old. As a species, we've been designing way longer than we've been speaking. Right? We, made, we fashioned our first tools long before we developed the, the very complex language of technology, which we now exist in. Right? So, and then you kind of fast forward to the industrial era. Herb Simon, an economist, says, um, he who, who designs, unfortunately used gender-specific language, uh, he or she who designs is concerned with changing existing situations into preferred ones. Right? In other words, like design is about the process of making things better or, or create, I would say, design is about creating a preferred future. And so what can we say about engaging in design? Well, we could say that uh, while we're in the place of blaming other people, we're not designing because we have no agency, because we gave it up. And so design starts when we take on the possibility of creating our own future, which brings me back again to this story that you share of a moment of realization about this is the path I'm on and actually it's not taking me where I want to go. Hmm. Now, we could, we could talk about design as an activity, as a discourse, as a profession, but hopefully does that, is that enough to kind of talk about what we mean by design? Like somehow intentionally shaping things and making them better, whether that's an object or a conversation or a context. Or... Mm. I think that makes sense. How do you understand ontology? Oh, God. <laughs> well, to me, it's like the architecture of being. Like I, I was at a stage where I was stuck in my life because I didn't know really where my career was going and I felt like I had all these ideals. But if, if truth be told, I had no idea how to live up to my own ideals and I just realized I was more of a asshole <laughs> than I wanted to be most of the time and mm. so you know the ontological approach to me what it introduced was this kind of architecture of being of a way of looking at myself and saying this is how I show up in this situation and I could as, a, as someone who trained in engineering I could see these elements of myself and go oh yeah that's not great is it Mm. And, and then I realized that they happened to be quite useful for working with groups because as soon as I walked in, I could see what was or wasn't happening with a group or an organization. Mm. Um, and, of course, what shows up somewhere shows up everywhere. So that, that becomes quite powerful. Mm. I'm wondering if um, the question that's coming to mind for us to like dwell on and maybe get into pairs again is... Um, what is the missing conversation? What's something that's uh, conversation is missing in your life at the moment that you'd like to be having? Um. <laughs> just a small, just another small just one. Another Chris. small yeah. question. Yeah. Do, do we need to create some context for the that question? Yeah. So as I as I say, like language is a relatively new technology. So as as a species, like. We are technological. And I know now we talk about technologies like digital technology and we say like, um, oh, we're we going to become cyborgs. We already, we already are. I mean, we never leave these things. But, um, and you look at some of the old religious texts like in the Bible, you know, the Tower of Babel, right? What, what do you take, you know, do you, you guys know the story? You know, um, humankind got together, they had a common language and they were able to build this enormously high tower which was representative of, you know, progress. 
and and so the Lord came down and scattered the people and gave them different languages. And what what do you take from that story? Well, it's a myth. You take whatever you want from it. Mm. But what I take from it uh, is that we are a technological not technological species, and the way that we use that technology doesn't influence our world. It creates our world. And so the, the the broader missing conversation which we've talked about is that we live in the technology of language. Mm. And language is how we get things done. But language is also how we create our world. And the world is not created accordingly according to how it is. The world is created according to how I see it. Uh, so, but Sarah's, Sarah's giving me a face of just Leave like... <laughs> all right, all right. Back up, back up, back up. So... <laughs> so um, let me give you a really simple example, right? So all my life I lived in the story that I was crap at drawing. And I had various things to, uh, various evidence to demonstrate that I was crap at drawing, okay? One of them was the fact that when I draw it doesn't look very good. Another one was that when I was young, my status, anxious, beloved, middle-class mother was, uh, went to my parent-teacher report and my teacher said, He's doing okay at everything apart from art. He draws like a three-year-old. <laughs> and so my mom freaked out and sent me to art class for years <laughs> with this woman who was allergic to bees. And... <laughs> anyway, like, the, 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 point I'm, the point I'm making is that my reality is that I can't draw. That's my reality. Now, a couple of years ago, I asked mom about that. And she said, where did you get any of those stories from? <laughs> I said, I said, what about the school report? She said, no, that didn't happen. Well, where did I get that story from then? She said, well, I don't remember it. She said, you were great at art. The reason I sent you to art class was because I thought you might enjoy it. That's so sweet. And so since then, I've kind of enjoyed drawing things more. Right? And I don't think my drawing's got any better, but I've noticed when people say, oh, I quite like it when you draw. And so the story creates the world. We cannot not create a story, I don't think. Like, I think we have to create meaning as, as humans, but the stories that we create do create our world. Mm. So if, if we're dissatisfied with something, there's often a missing conversation. Mm. Can I add one more piece of context? Please. So um, I signed up to do a, a little three-part series with David White, the poet. And it's all on Irish culture and conversation. It's really beautiful. Um, if anyone's interested, there's been one session. You could still probably sign up. I can send you the first one. Um, but he opened actually the first two hours was like a lot about conversation. Um, and what he does, he, he explained that when he brings people to um, Ireland, uh, they come from Australia, Dublin, the US, everyone's exhausted. doesn't matter how far you've traveled. People come, they're exhausted. They arrive in Ireland, they're, they're tired. And he says most of the time they're tired because of the conversation they've been having with themselves. He's exhausting them and they haven't been able to find a way through that conversation. And he basically asks them to put that conversation to one side and drink from a deeper well. <sighs> and then you're allowed to do that for a week, you know. Um, and so in the question, what is a missing conversation, it's not the conversation that you're having with yourself that's exhausting you. <laughs> um, it's probably something else that's missing that might give you a bit of joy. Mm.